looking for tomorrow to come in and be the best that I can be in training and to train as hard as I possibly can and then I'll move on to the next day and that's how I've looked at my career. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team on their summer tour to Japan. Yeah, good evening and welcome along. Uh, we're now joined by Matt Williams to discuss um, another amazing result in this recent history uh, of Kiwi rugby. But what should be mentioned as well is an incredible result uh, for Argentina, which seems to have almost been lost in the narrative. How are you getting on, Matt? Uh, very good, Johnny. Very good. Thanks for asking. Um, obviously, the you know after Ireland's victories over New Zealand, a lot of people in the non-rugby fraternity um, were a little bit kind of peeved by you know all the talk about how good this was as for Ireland in terms of historic sporting achievements. Does this provide a different context? What happened at the weekend and what's gone on? I guess for the Kiwis since with a couple of defeats since they played Ireland. No, I don't think so, mate. I think that the um, certainly look. I can't talk about other sports, but in, in Irish rugby history, that was without doubt the greatest performance and the greatest result for uh, Irish rugby teams, bigger than Grand Slams, bigger than anything. That's New Zealand is an incredibly difficult place to go. Uh, even that win by Argentina the other day you know, was close and they had to fight for it. This is still a very good New Zealand side. Uh, they won magnificently in their last outing against South Africa at altitude at uh, at Ellis Park, and they played quite magnificent rugby in very, very difficult circumstances, and they placed themselves back at the top of the tree. And no one in world rugby, and I mean no one, predicted Argentina to win. The only people who thought Argentina can win were the Argentinian players, Michael Checker, their coach, and Felipe Conopani, their assistant coach, both obviously ex-Lemster coaches and, and in Felipe's case, a player as well. So the rest of the world gave them no chance, and until... They scored a try at about the 65-minute mark, which was a free try from a restart. They were behind in that game, and, and it looked like New Zealand were going to win it. So I don't think we should take anything away from the performance of the Irish team. And I, I think we've just got to say that this is really healthy for world rugby. Mm. Uh, Having someone like New Zealand just belting everyone, it's like it's like having a team in the under-8s that no one can beat. You know, the, the, the competition is is not great. It's healthy for world rugby what's going on here. And look, I'm going to say something else here. I'm, I'm not noted to be a fan of New Zealand rugby. It's pretty healthy for New Zealand rugby in the long run. Not not necessarily the short run, but short term, but certainly in the over a longer picture, I think it's it's also healthy for them. Okay, uh, let, let me start you on that point then, because uh, the 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 obvious thing to say here is that the era the aura of invincibility seems to be gone anyway and you know two defeat two victories in their last ace just reading a few sort of um reports there's even a piece in the new york times about the fact that more young kids are playing basketball uh, than rugby in new zealand at the moment and it's 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 not maybe quite uh, the religion it was at all levels of society and the structuring um all the way from underage up might have changed why are new zealand not the dominant force they were because in terms of you know raw population data they shouldn't be that dominant anyway well they've still got um you know i'd i'd seriously question that data. I would, let, let me tell you, if someone worked for sporting organisations, when they start pumping out things like that, I find that pretty hard to accept. You know, I'd want, want to see it at a pretty, a pretty decent level. New Zealand have roughly, you know, uh, and the, it moves from 180,000 to, to 220,000 senior players. Now, for they've got a country the same population as Ireland. 
Ireland's, you know, again, I would question the data. And I, I think Ireland's roughly got. We're talking about male players, by mm. the way, not 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 both sexes. But I, I'd say uh, Ireland's got a roughly forty thousand. So that puts it in proportion. Australia, you know, they're saying they've got eighty thousand. I question that. I reckon they've got about fifty thousand. So look, look it, it it is still the dominant sport. It dominates the culture. It dominates politics. It is how New Zealanders see themselves. And what I say about the long term is. New Zealand rugby has become uh, got its head overinflated, so that they just believe it's not possible to have a run like they're having now. They just believe they should go out and win every game, and of course that's rubbish. They've got a phenomenal infrastructure, phenomenal system internally, but the game is designed that you have to fail. The game, that's the, what it's made for. You have to experience winning and defeat. That's what rugby does. It's it's an impossible game to master. You're never going to do it. And, and I think this is giving the New Zealanders a little dose of humble pie to make them go back and not just think everything they do is perfect. And, look, they have conducted themselves, especially with the Australians and the South Africans, in super rugby and the competition down there, in, in a pretty ordinary manner, the way they've thrown their weight around. They've kicked teams out. They've wanted them in. It was their policies that pretty much drove the South African teams into the hands of the Northern Hemisphere and where they've come into the rugby championship. And, you know, unless their policies change, they're going to try and drive the Springboks into the hands of the Six Nations, which I think would be a disaster for the Six Nations. So I think this is a, a little dose of humble pie. But I don't think all of us, if, if we go around the world and we start writing New Zealand rugby off, the rest of us are going to get smacked. I think we fall into the same, the same category of being up ourselves because New Zealand rugby, they're going through a tough patch. That's pretty good. Do they have bad players? No. Have they got serious talent at their disposal? Absolutely they do. Should they have won that game on the weekend? Yes, they should have. But they're not. Why didn't they, Matt? uh, Look, I think you've got to give, again, we've all gone down the route of the New Zealand media and the New Zealand Zealand, uh, rugby public. Let's come back. Argentina played their guts out. Their defence, under a guy called David Kibble, that you're – Listeners wouldn't know. David's a, a very uh, well-known rugby, former rugby league player and rugby league coach in Australia that My- Michael Checker has brought in to organise and run their defence. Uh, has done a phenomenal job, uh, as they showed against Australia in um, San Jose when they played uh, – San Juan, sorry, mm-hmm. when they, a couple of weeks ago. And let's not forget, Australia just beat – uh, South Africa very, very well in Adelaide on the weekend. And Argentina scored seven tries against Australia. And everyone blamed Australia, which I did too, and none of us gave the credit towards Argentina. And I think uh, we have to stop when Argentina beat the Wallabies by a record score and then they come and win in, uh, in New Zealand. We've got to stop and say we've got to give them some praise and say Argentina have, under Michael Checker, have really turned some corners. Yeah, actually, what, so what, is che- what have Checker and, and Contepomi done? How long has this taken for Argentina to rugby? Because one result might be somewhat fluky. Three aren't. No, they're not. Um, Michael's an excellent coach. He goes about his, his um, coaching in a very different way. It's almost like running a business. And he's employed very good staff. Um, Felipe is a great offensive coach, as we saw at Leinster. He's got a lot of uh, experience under his belt. And I've got to, you know, I don't want to talk out of school here, but you know, when, last time I saw Felipe, you know, he wasn't going back for a year. Felipe was going back with a long-term plan to, to help Argentinian rugby if he went back. Now, the fact that he – and I haven't spoken to him since he signed his contract there – but the fact that Felipe went back means that he's got a long-term vision for what uh, 
uh, rugby in Argentina is going to do at the international level. And he, he believes in what Michael's doing and he believes in what uh, David Kibble is bringing to the situation as well. And by bringing in foreign uh, expertise, the Argentinians are accepting that, okay, we can still have Felipe there who's an ex-captain, one of their all-time great players, but we're bringing in some external expertise while having every single player. I think there's only one player in the Argentinian squad that was born overseas. Wow. And that, that, that's a pretty impressive uh, result when you consider that Australia and New Zealand have a number of overseas players through the Pacific Islands where, where players are born in, in somewhere in Pacifica and then, then migrate to Australia. It, it is a very different scenario for Australia and New Zealand than it is for the Argentinians. So I think it's, it's a multifaceted uh, uh, re- reason why Argentina have, have turned around. They've got some quality young guys in that system. They're, they're playing a system that suits them. They're playing a lot more ball in hand. They are running the ball in hand. Their breakdown work is excellent. And number one, they're not letting in tries like they did in the past through their defence. And when you watch that game against New Zealand, their defence was absolutely superb. But after the first 15 minutes, they let in a pretty soft one early. And after that, they were very good. Uh, rugby and off the ball with Vodafone, a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team on their summer tour to Japan. Um, just reading that New York Times article again, this was um, a quote from Foster before um, before the series began. So this is three games ago. We're desperate to form. We're desperate to perform against South Africa. There's a lot riding on it. Well, if that were true, what's what's his kind of thought process now? Three games later, and like, do you, do you think? The, the idea that he will be there for the for the World Cup, do you think that that will be justified in time or would other countries have made a move at this stage and gotten rid of him? Tony, it's a... It's a I've got to say, I, I always err on the side of a coach. Um, I, I think there is a, a disease going through sport that started in, in uh, football or soccer, moved across into American football, and, uh, you know, now rugby and a lot of and GAA, we're all inheriting it, where we're laying all the blame at the feet of the coaches. 100% agree with you. And, you know, look, these sports were designed for the people playing them to learn about life, you know, and to learn about themselves. And we're constantly, a player misses a tackle, misses a kick, makes a bad decision, and all of a sudden we're blaming the person sitting back in the stand from, that are just really interested spectators like the rest of us. And, and a lot of, you know, the, the New Zealanders were dropping ball and missing tackles. That's not Ian Foster's fault. That just, just as when Jonah Loma or, or scored a try or, or Sonny Bill Williams made a break and did an offload, that wasn't the coach that was doing that. That was the great athlete that was on the field. So we've got to put this in, in perspective. The, the, the second part, I think, if we split up the New Zealanders' last six months, when they lost to Ireland in uh, no, November 21 and England in November 21, there were some reasons for that. Those poor guys and the Argentinians, who Ireland beat by 53-7. Yeah, smacked their backsides. They'd been in a COVID bubble for the best part of four months. Mm. That COVID bu- bubble, it, living in Australia, that COVID bubble was you're in your hotel room and you're at the training ground, that's it. And you, then they got on a plane, flew to England and Ireland, had to go into again to isolation and then stayed in the same COVID bubble. You, um, I did two weeks in a hotel in it when I returned to Australia. Glorified jail. Oh, mate, it, it, that's what it was. It was jail in a comfy room. Mm. Windows were sealed. You got your meals delivered to your door. And if you had any sort of mental illness, which I'm very fortunate I don't suffer from, but if you did, mm. I, I just think it, was, it would have been purgatory for people, the anxiety and so on it created. Those guys were fried by the end of that. There's no two ways about that. And, people, and, and we know that's the case because of what 
studies have been done, people have spoken about it. It was really cruel what we did to those players. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any excuse when they came home to New Zealand. They didn't have any excuses against Ireland. And they've got no excuses now, except to say, and this is the whole point of the competition, <laughs> when your opposition plays better than you, you get beaten. You know, So the New Zealand rugby public have to accept Argentina played better than them. And they have to accept that Ireland played better than them, and they deserve credit. That doesn't mean you've got a bunch of incompetent stumbos running your organisation. It just means you got beaten on the day and you've got to suck that up because that's what sport's all about, learn and get better. Now, I didn't think New Zealand would lose that game and I was shocked that they lost that game. Is it great for rugby? It is absolutely sensational for rugby that New Zealand lost that game. It's sensational for the game for everyone except New Zealanders and, and they're yeah. upset and I, I get that. I get they're upset. I don't. They got. They got to stick to the game. The game is winning and losing, and they're just in a point now where there's not much between their team and the rest of the world. Yeah, and Australia. Sorry, sorry, Johnny. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think if you are, if you're, if you're looking towards the World Cup as a rugby fan, I mean, this must be one of the most exciting ever in terms of how open it is. But just getting back to. Um, you know the New Zealand situation you can fairly obviously tell when a team has lost faith in its coach from its body language and from stupid things that happen do you get any sense of that or do you think they're buying into this as a long term thing and it is a transition well if they had a lot and that's a sensational question and and the answer sits at Ellis Park at 5,000 just under 5,000 feet altitude one of, if not the hardest place in world rugby to go. Next to Eden Park, in my experience, it's it's the hardest place in the world to go. Uh, you know, it's harder than Twickenham, harder than, than Lansdowne Road, harder than Stade de France. I've been to all those joints, and I can tell you that Eden Park and Ellis Park are really, really tough joints for different reasons. Eden Park mentally, Ellis Park physically. If they had a lost faith in their coach, if they said this bloke isn't him, and they had a just said we're going to lose that game, Ian Foster would have been out, but they didn't. Mate, they fought magnificently. They played sensational rugby. They they got they were in front, should have been long away. The Springboks came back at about the 65th minute mark. They were behind, and the New Zealanders found another way to fight. If they didn't believe in what they were doing, they would have lost that game. So I, I don't believe that he's lost the change room, as the, as the horrible cliche goes. I don't believe the players have lost it. They brought in Joe Schmidt. They brought in another guy, Dougie Ryan, at the uh, not Doug Ryan, but Ryan for the assistant coach of the um, uh, Crusaders into the staff. So they've got new assistant coaches that are highly respected and we know are great coaches, but they're still not winning. So there is something else there. Now, what is it? I'm not in the camp. I can't tell you. But whether they stay with Foster, and they said the other week they would after they beat uh, uh, the South Africans, He's under considerable pressure, but it's very interesting that when you look through the New Zealand Herald, while there's criticism and disappointment, they've stopped this ridiculous haranguing of of Foster, the terrible personal attacks that no person in sport should have to endure. They haven't done anything criminal. They haven't haven't, uh, done anything that's in any way against the sport or or to bring, bring the sport into disrepute. They've simply been an honest person coaching a team and their team's lost. And what Foster has had to endure... No, no person in sport should have to endure. And you can criticise, you know, it's the old story, play the ball, not the person, and they pl- they've been playing the person far too much. Has it been bad? Yeah, shocking, mate, shocking, shocking. It, you, know, the, you know, I don't want to bring it up, but, you know, just even so many comments on, on, on his physique, you know, on how he looks, on, on the way he speaks. 
you know, like it's it's just totally and utterly uncalled for. Well, it's pathetic. Like, it, it is absolutely pathetic. And and not only that, on social media, you know, it got to the point where Artie Sevilla came out and just told everyone, look, back off, this is ridiculous. You know, Sir John Kerwin, who got his knighthood for services to mental health, and, you know, Sir John Kerwin, Johnny, you know, Johnny's spoken about, he's a great bloke, and he's spoken so honestly about his terrible uh, mental health when he was a player and the pressure that was on him where one day he thought about jumping out a window when he was <clears throat> in a hotel room with the national team. He's come out and said, listen, what are we doing? What are you doing to your players and your staff? Like, well, why are you doing this? And it's totally out of proportion with a game of sport. I know it's important, and I know it's important in New Zealanders, and and I get it. But you, you can be disappointed, but you, no one should have to endure what these guys are endure, have had to endure. And, and would, would Foster, in your sort of view, would he have the sort of mentality to get through this and to ride the storm in that regard and kind of be able to park it in terms of, okay, it's only sport, but obviously I do need to get through this as well? I don't know, Johnny. I don't know. I know a lot of those guys. I know Scott Robinson. I knew Stu Hansen and, those, and Graham Henry because I coached against them and, and or, or I knew, and still see, see Scotty Robinson very, very occasionally. And I know I know the sort of people they are, but I don't know Ian Foster. But I'll give you an example. I, I wrote about in the Irish Times. A guy called uh, 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 Green was a rugby league coach in Australia and he committed suicide um, only a few weeks ago. And that was from the pressure of, of being dismissed from positions within rugby league in Australia. And, and not not getting the help that he required. So you can't sort of suggest that this is not anyone would not take a toll on anyone's mental health. Foster seems a very tough, hard dude, as in a typical tough Kiwi. He's going to see it through. This is his life's ambition and he's there and he's not walking away from it. And I completely endorse that and, and would encourage him to keep going. He's not doing anything wrong. He's just coaching a team. It's the other people. And here again, we're, we're sort of, not blaming them, but, but saying, can he cope with it? It's, I think it's the other people's responsibility to back off and say, I don't agree with your line out, I don't agree with your breakdown, but let's not let's not bash the human being. No, let's let's talk about we can talk rugby till the till the cows come home, but let's not let's not attack people for what they do in sport. Yeah, Paul Green, who was uh, survived by his wife and kids, aged forty nine. Uh, I think people yeah. forget that as well, Matt. That's you know, in Foster has kids. He's a family that um, they're they're in this journey together, um, and you just get trolls in social media. You just don't seem to care. Yeah, uh, and that was Artie Sevilla's complete point that this is you know it's, you're not just attacking the man. You're attacking his whole family. You're attacking his friends, his parents. You know, who are elderly parents. Like it's crazy. And of course, you know the keyboard warriors in in the, in the safety of of. Uh, anonymity behind a behind a phone you know that they, some of the things they say mate are just horrific mm. and, and you know i, I you know uh, sachin tendulkar the great indian cricketer always said you never read the media never read social media never read it you just can't you can't you're responsible for what goes into your mouth and you're responsible for what goes into your brain so you've got to do it but it's very hard when you're in a position like foster in a country like new zealand where it is the dominant culture across the two islands to isolate yourself from that. And also you have to attend press conferences. Mm. And the press conferences were, you know, that, uh, when you watch them, and I try not to watch them, uh, but I do just a little bit because of, of what we do here. When you watch them, they, they, they were hand-to-hand they were -hand combat. You know, they were mm. brutal. Uh, and, and it's the New Zealand media, uh, well, look, I, I'm quite happy to say it, and I've had stand-up arguments with a lot of guys in New Zealand media. They are as much to blame as the people. 
they are as much to blame as as the keyboard warriors because they started, and I think they they at many times over the years in my history have been out of control, and when you call them out on it, they don't like it mm. because they try and make an excuse. Oh, you know, this is, this is the expectations of the people. Have the exp- all the expectations you want about your team. You are more than entitled to about that, but do not attack people for what they do in sport. This is not someone that is, again, they haven't done anything illegal. They haven't committed a crime. They're not a politician that has, you know, scraped money off, off the top or has got some system going where they're ripping off a system. These are honest people that love the game. They've sacrificed a huge amount, make a lot of choices to get in it. They've been proven over many years at certain levels and they're finally given an opportunity to coach a national side. And, and you know, give them that respect. But, yeah. But talk rugby, but what, you know, to, to talk about the physique of the national coach or how he speaks, his accent or, or the manner of his speech, I mean, that's just totally and utterly off the table. And, and I'm sorry about if, if any of the Kiwis get angry with me, you know, look, you just shouldn't be saying, if we did that, if we switched our head and we did that to um, a women's team, that that put the people would be wiped from the earth. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and yeah. it's like you know, as a journalist, uh, behave fairly, uh, don't personalize issues, and you know, it's 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 reflected on you if you're calling out nonsense like that. Let's let's fast forward to the Rugby World Cup then. Who's going to be favoured? What position, uh, mentally, physically, and everything else in New Zealand at that stage? Well, I, I actually don't think it changes anything because the the fact that the South Africans lost, and it's interesting, and I didn't know this till Saturday. Uh, South Africa haven't won Australia since 2014, which I was really quite taken aback at mm. that. Now, there's a year of COVID in there, so they didn't play for a, a little bit, but that, that's still a pretty amazing stat. I, I think it's an extremely open World Cup with France at the top of the scale. France are playing sensational rugby. They're at home. They've got massive advantage. The country is really united behind them, but you cannot write off New Zealand, you cannot write off South Africa because of the way they play. And I, I also have to say that uh, Ireland, on the way they've been playing since November 21, and especially the result they got in New Zealand, if they continue on their growth, they have to keep getting better. They can't just say we're, we're there now, that's all, we've got all the answers. They've got to keep growing. If they keep growing over the next 12 months, they're going to be, they've got a very good uh, opportunity to get out of the quarterfinals and into the semis. And once you make a semifinal, you can win a World Cup. Best team has not won the World Cup on, on four or five occasions. So you can win it. And that's all three times, the two times Australia won it and the time England won it, they were not the best team in the competition. But mm. they got there because they got through their semifinals and their quarterfinal. Once you get to the semifinals, you got a good shot at the title. Getting getting to the game, so the Safas and the Wallabies. You said that New Zealand essentially should have beaten Argentina, but didn't. Should 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 South Africa have won this game? We'll talk about a very controversial sin binning as well. But who should have won this game in terms of um, meritocracy or whatever? Uh, Australia with a better team, I have to say. Okay. I have to say, and I, I look again. Mia culpa. I thought South Africa would win. You know, I thought South Africa. I wanted Australia to win because uh, Laurie Fisher, the old Munster coach, not great old man of mine. Laurie's finally uh, been appointed into the Wallaby squad. He should have been there decades ago and uh, took over the defensive coaching and the breakdown work and did a sensational job. The, the Australians defended quite magnificently. It wasn't until the game was over in the last seven or eight minutes that South Africa 
um, went about, look, you know, they, they sort of relaxed and let South Africa in, which I'm sure Laurie would be disappointed with. Australia scored a couple of brilliant tries, defended magnificently. Mariga Korobiti did an astonishing cover, cover tackle on Mapibi, who was diving in to the far corner and hit him at uh, literally 100 mile an hour, didn't break strike, came from the far wing, miraculous tackle, and, and the Wallabies scored some great tackles. You have to be said that Andre Pollard, the um, South African goal kicker, missed a number of kicks that would have kept them in, con- in, uh, in touch, but they were not the better team on this particular day. Australia were, were by far the better side and richly deserved their, uh, their win. Uh, the sin binning. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't if you haven't seen this, um, it was probably more something akin to a game of soccer than a game of to rugby, if that's fair to say. Yeah, uh, look, I totally disagree with what Nick White did. I'm a fan of Nick White. He, he left Australia and went and played for Exeter and came back a, a much better player. He's played superbly for Australia and the Brumbies. Um, and there's no no place in our game for what he did. Uh, you know, he took a dive. And that's, I don't, I don't endorse it, uh, and I don't. I, I surf, Fafta Clerk, the um, South African scrum half, got ten minutes, which I also thought was a joke. It wasn't a penalty, uh, and and even the the TMO replayed it, and it showed he didn't make contact. Mm. You know, he, if he did, it was a finger touching his chin, uh, you know, or, or flicked his face. It certainly wasn't a forearm, wasn't a hit, and and it didn't knock him off his feet. Um, you know, and we can't we can't fall into that. We can't fall into that. Now, listen, let me tell you, the game is pretty good that way in its self-governance. Uh, Nick White's going to have to live with that because a lot of people are going to give him a hard time, as they have in airports and hotels <laughs> since then. Yeah. You know? how, well, this is it, Jay. Like, how does, uh, how does the dressing room respond to something like that? Because it's anomalous in rugby, to be fair. Uh, they'll be riding him like, <laughs> like a favourite at, at Bunchestown. <laughs> Sledged about it that much. He'll be getting. There'll be a nickname. There'll be every. You know. There'll be. There'll be jokes. There'll be people shaving half their moustache because he got this big handlebar moustache. And the 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 joke is that he went to hospital to get two hairs replaced on his moustache. That people will be shaving half their mo's off and things like this. You know. It's look. He's a really good player, and he did something on the spur of the moment. Yeah. That was quite. That was quite embarrassing. And and I. You know what? I, I haven't heard him say it, but I'm pretty certain he'll regret that very much. And it was it was a poor decision from the officials, but you got to say it was a very it was a poor action from uh, from Nick. Yeah, and so the the, the Springboks coach says afterwards, uh, basically we've more questions than answers. Uh, I don't know how we lost this game. I from from somebody from who follows rugby sort of every now and then. Is this the strongest sort of the Northern Hemisphere has been uh, versus the Southern Hemisphere, or is it just very very hard to call? France are outstanding, but to me it just seems a bit of a muchness of a muchness between the Safas. Even if you want to throw Argentina into mix, New Zealand, obviously Australia now because well results imply that anyway. Yeah, certainly. Well, you can only go off results, mate. You know, like, like if, if you just come back to that first point, the Saffirs, when they got beaten by New Zealand, who beat them off the park at Ellis Park, mm. came out and blamed the referee. And the referee had an excellent game. Well, they come and say, oh, the referee was a And all, they're all saying. And then they come out and he says, I don't know how we lost that. You go, we're watching the same game of rugby. Like, how did you lose it? Australia scored three magnificent tries and defended brilliantly. Like, you missed six shots at goal. That's how you lost it. <laughs> like, don't look at someone else, uh, you know. And the, the, but the South Africans, you know, again, this is good for the South Africans. They just think they're going to they're come out and win everything. They play such a negative game that it was wonderful that a positive game beat them. 
because that's good, again, good for rugby. The fact that Australia beat them is really good for the game. And if Australia can come and replicate it again this week, I believe it's in Sydney, I think it's in Sydney, um, that would be equally brilliant for the game because it would mean uh, Australia and Argentina would be on top of the championship, which would be wonderful for the championship instead of New Zealand and South Africa winning it every year. So, again, that, that, and that would also be great for the Bledisloe Cup because Australia are yet to play New Zealand. So the, then you come back to your point. The Southern Hemisphere was a long way in front of the North. The way the laws currently are, it favours some negativity, and that's why the South Africans, they play a negative game plan. Explain that to me, actually. Well, unfortunately, over, uh, what has leached into the game is our scrummaging, the scrums have become an absolute disaster in rugby. We waste three minutes on scrums and team scrummage for penalties. Mm. So it, it, when I played and right up to the 90s, there were no penalties in scrums unless it was for foul play or offside. You had to do something dirty to get a penalty. It was what we call a free kick. You get a bent arm, which means you've got to tap. You can only tap the ball. You can't kick the touch. You can't kick a goal. So what do teams do? They just got the ball out of the scrum. And so you had this great attack coming from scrums. That's all changed. So the South Africans scrummage for a penalty. They then kick to touch for a line out and more. You know, so the backs do nothing. And if they can't do that, they kick across field, high kick across field, so their wingers can come through and contest. So there's no attack from the South Africans. They, they, and the good thing about Saturday, Australia scored three tries, were up, and the South Africans had to run the ball. And guess what? They were in a fair bit of trouble because they never, they don't know how to run it. Because these other tactics that we saw against the Lions and New, and New Zealand that have been so successful and are so negative and so hard to beat didn't work against Australia because Australia was had the ability to pull their defence apart and score tries. So they were put in the back foot and they, they missed their goals. Mm. So they had the perfect storm. But they, when they get it right, it's really hard to beat. And it's a horrid, it's a horrid thing to watch and it's, a, it's, it's not good for the game. But the South Africans are hard to beat. There's no two ways about it. The negative is in all sports is always harder, easier to implement and harder to beat than the positive. So Australia and New Zealand and Ireland and France – are playing a very positive game plan. South Africa and England are playing a very negative game plan based on a big set of forwards, a lot of kicking and a lot of chasing, but not a lot of enjoyment for the, for the spectators. So the, you, what, we, what we're seeing is the positivity come back into the game. So the way Ireland played, New Zealand, Australia and France are playing is really great to watch. It's really entertaining. It, it's it's uh, uplifting for kids they want to get involved because it looks like fun and it is fun. It's sexy. The ball's thrown around. It's a joyous time and it's not boring. It's entertainment, which is ultimately what professional sport's about. Now, we've still got all this time-wasting crap that the game needs to get rid of, but our leadership is so poor, they're not addressing it. But the teams at the top who are playing the positivity are being the leaders, and it's great that Ireland are part of that under Andy Farrell. The incredible change we saw over the summer of 2021 to when they beat New Zealand in, in the November of 2021, and they've carried that on since to be to go very very well in the Six Nations, and then again in the, in the Southern Hemisphere against New Zealand, playing this really great running rugby, this really enjoyable, sexy brand of rugby. New Zealand played, Australia played, France played. So what does that mean for the World Cup? It's a very even World Cup 12 months out, very very even 12 months out, and what we hope is that the positive people get stronger, more power to them, play better rugby, and the negative people get weaker. Because we, South Africa are winning World Cups 
on the back of a really big pack of forwards, a whole other bunch on the bench, which was net. This again is a, the rules being changed. The, there's, there's, the bench in rugby was there for safety reasons. That's where it started out. So if someone got hurt in the scrum, we have another guy there ready to go on. And coaches have been like, like they're like lawyers, tax lawyers. They found loopholes in the system. Mm. And so the South Africans pick eight giants, and then at the 45-minute mark, they bring on another six giants who are really fresh. So they've got these really huge dudes that just bash people up. You know, they've got Lord Lucan and Elvis in their back line because who's, who's in their back line? No one knows because they never play out there. They never pass the ball around. They don't play positive rugby. But by, by scrummaging and mauling and getting penalties, they kick three points, they're winning games and they're winning World Cups. So it's up to the rest of the world to play positively, and I'm, I'm delighted to say we've got that, and pr- hopefully show the negativity up for what it is because our legislators at World Rugby are not acting on changing any of those mm. rules. And that is, that is the – our game has been really, really poorly administered at the moment as far as that's concerned. Yeah, we got through loads. There are loads more to talk about in the future again on that note. Thanks a million, Matt. Pleasure, Johnny. Great to talk to you. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team on their summer tour to Japan. 